Hello and welcome to another round, the podcast that gives you an insight into brewing. My name is Yunidar and I am, uh, I'm here at Amundsen Brewery with Matt Ahrens. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so we're here. It's, uh, it's December. The brewery is closed down, so I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to talk to us today. No problem. Um, and uh, and I, th- I find like the whole evolution of Amundsen hugely fascinating from a Norwegian standpoint. But uh, let's start a little bit with, with you first. What's sort of your background? Yeah, um, I've been brewing for a bit more than a decade now, uh, professionally for the past seven years. But uh, I got in it through the, the back door, through home brewing. Mm. So I um, started home brewing pretty early on, uh, early 2000s. And then um, ended up in London, in the UK. Found myself at a brew pub, Earl of Essex, uh, where just kind of helped out from time to time. And then all of a sudden, had just as many bar shifts as I did brewing shifts. <laughs> um, and from there, just more and more eager. I knew, knew a lot of people from the brewing scene in London in the early 2010s. Mm. Found myself in a lot of breweries, just helping out, erecting boxes, packing cans, whatever. And, and, and this is like the, 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 the prime start of craft beer in, in the UK, right? Yeah, this is when like the, you know, it was the Colonel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then or I guess you would have had Meantime and mm. then the Colonel. And then, you know, 2011, 2012, you've got uh, new breweries popping up every other month. Beaver mm. Town, Pressure Drop, Brew By Numbers. Um, all these breweries that are still there, still knocking out of the park. Um, but, you know, 10 years later wildly different trajectories for some of those breweries <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair so so you're you're hanging around in, in london for uh, for for uh, for a time and then uh, and then you end up in in norway mm. um i think i might know the answer but but how did you end up here i had a child in london yeah uh with my norwegian wife and uh a couple in brewing and uh being a, a father uh we thought it would we try it in Norway instead yeah. of in London. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I moved over here. Uh, initially, I was going to work somewhere else, uh, but it burnt down uh, the day I was supposed oh, really? to uh, <laughs> supposed to move here. So yeah, a place called Nederfoss. Mm. Um, I was uh, already had it lined up. Um, so you know, move here, start work a couple of days later. Uh, that didn't pan out. So I spent the first uh, six months of uh, 2016. Bouncing around a little bit, yeah. Um, visiting breweries, just saying hi, helping out where I could, and then I get a call from uh, Jeff, um, our big shot here, and he <laughs> said, "Are you looking for a job? Uh, we're, we're thinking of uh, taking the brewery out of the brew pub into a production site." Mm. And, uh, I was well keen to jump on board for that. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've been here since. Uh, since we started at the production site. Mm. So the brewery predates that by a couple of years. But uh, since we've been here, I've been here since that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because um, so the, I, th- I think that's uh, first off coming into Norway because of, uh, of, uh, of love. I think that's the common. I think that's the only <laughs> reason why someone outside of Norway come to willingly pay uh Forty percent taxes and uh, and VAT <laughs> yeah. on everything, but yeah. that's just the way it is. Um, and and Amundsen uh, started up um, uh, was it two thousand and eight? If I'm not remembering correctly, 
Oh, the the brew pub yeah, itself. The, yeah. yeah, so almost Birgiri Ospicery would have been around then yeah. or something. I, I th- we say that the brewery just turned nine years old. Oh, so okay. 2013, uh, you're, this all predates me, but the, yeah. uh, this would have been like, uh, I think, the genesis of, you know, Amundsen Birgiri mm. OS. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because uh, the Amundsen Brewery and Spicery, uh, as uh, as you mentioned, is something a little bit different than Amundsen Brewery. Mm. Uh, this was a, uh, this is still a brew pub uh, located in smack downtown of, of Oslo, just by the uh, city hall. Uh, and I remember uh, this was actually a, a customer of mine, like then a long time ago. Uh, and Jeffrey was at that point just a just uh, I'm making air quotes here, uh, just a a bartender. Uh, but now he is uh, the head of Amundsen uh, Brewery, really going up the ranks. But this is a very limited space that was there mm-hmm. um, because uh, the, the, uh, there is not a whole lot of room to, to brew the beer. And then you have to go down to the cellar to, to, uh, to ferment it. So taking it out here was just another step in increasing production. Uh, from yeah. my understanding, yeah, there's also the middle step of Needle, yeah, uh, where <laughs> yeah, that's true. Amundsen took up a you know shop in Needle in Birgitta City and brewed mm. Amundsen beer in Needle, um, and that was a step up because that took it from like a five heck batch to a ten heck batch, more mm. fermenters, more um, space, yeah, mm. m- more logical space for mm. um, brewing the beer, selling the beer, packaging the beer. Mm. Um, but of course, that was finite as well in terms of what you could do with that. And so as ambitions grew and as ideas grew, again, it need all and predates me, um, that space wouldn't have enabled um, the sort of lofty ambitions. And so they turned their sites to a production site uh, outside of town, a little bit more space. doesn't have to be sexy, but it's something that could be, you know, really utilitarian. Yeah. And started uh, shopping. And got in touch with some of the best, uh, you know, brew house fabricators, um, and start putting together the brewery piece by piece. Mm. And you know, we still have a lot of that quality equipment. It's been properly specced from day one. Mm. Still have it. What we brewed in 2016, the first year we brewed on it, and what we brew now, six years later, vastly more quantities, <laughs> wilder styles. But it's still specced to exactly what we want to do. Yeah, doesn't break down. It's reliable. Yeah, it's it, it's it's been perfect. There have been a few instances where we've grown and we've had to do more and we've brought in further equipment. Uh, but by and large, you know, we've made the right decisions on bringing in certain pieces of equipment that have enabled us to get a to get this far this fast. Mm. Yeah, because uh, for uh, for non-Norwegian listeners, actually non-Nordic uh, listeners, um, the biggest cost of running any business in Norway is the salary. Uh, Nor- Norwegians have a lot of taxes, but we also have a high uh, a higher salary, which means that um, a, a good company will always run with good efficiency, and I think that's really become one of the hallmarks of of Amundsen Brewery. Um, in terms of, of an organization, looking at a more professional light, of course, uh, because at this brewery, uh, you, you crank out about a million liters um, for my U.S. listeners. I don't know how many barrels that is. You can do the conversion, but about a million liter of beer. But you're only eight people mm. creating, creating that, including uh, the guys at the, at the back. Mm. Uh, 
can you tell tell us a little bit about how do you create an efficient brewery in the way that you've done it here? It 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 takes time. Yeah. I mean, obviously the equipment plays a huge role in that, but then understanding uh, the limitations of the equipment and where the equipment can allow you to kind of fully utilize somebody. Um, so, you know, just to walk through it real quick, yeah, we're eight people. Uh, we're two that sit up in an office, um, you know, paying the bills, uh, coming up with schedules, that sort of stuff. Down in the brewery, in the cellar, we've got uh, a team of three. They're brewing, they're dry opping, they're cellaring, uh, they're running the centrifuge, they're preparing the beer for the packaging team. Then you've got two people on the packaging team, uh, and we have a warehouse man. Mm. That is our team of eight. We don't. There are a lot of niches that we could get into that we've chosen not to. We're streamlining streamlining production, so we don't have an events team. Uh, we don't have a brewery rep um, mm. out on the road. Uh, we don't have a social media account for obvious reasons up here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Hello, Norwegian alcohol yeah. loss. <laughs> so, you know, when you, when you decide to just focus on production and streamline that, you've already started to kind of put your way on a path towards being efficient. Mm. The brewers have a great brew house that enables them to, you know, brew 40 hectoliters of beer um, without it being fully, um, I don't want to say hands off, uh, because there, there, there are quality control. The brew house is automated. The brew house will do what we tell it to do. But the brewer is there to make sure that it's doing it as it should, and it doesn't deviate. They're doing, uh, you know, checks along the way on pH, on gravity, making sure that uh, all the operations are happening at the right time. Yeah. But they don't have to break their back digging out a mash tun, mm. and so if they don't have to spend forty-five minutes a day digging out a mash tun. We can utilize them elsewhere yep. in a way that's probably more fulfilling. Might be a little yeah. bit romantic to <laughs> dig out a mash tun, but it becomes less romantic once you've done it five days a week <laughs> for six, seven years. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it's everything over there. The centrifuge, um, largely, it's plug and play. Mm. Um, so we're taking good care of our beer uh, on the in between time from cellaring and dry hopping to make sure that the beer is ready for the centrifuge, operator goes, dials it in. When it hits its stride, they're largely free to step back and then perform other tasks around uh, the brewery and the cellar. Mm. And so a lot's happening. A lot of times these operations are all happening at the same time, brewing, mm. dry hopping, cellaring, um, separating. Uh, and then you've got packaging going on. Mm. But no one over there is, yeah, it's... It's highly efficient without being highly manual. And I think mm. those two things do go hand in hand to a certain degree. Yeah. We've sort of understood as well kind of how to um, foresee the beer coming through the pipeline and schedule things in a highly appropriate way, uh, letting certain beers piggyback off other beers, um, focusing on you know things that we know will be challenging as well and trying to isolate that so that any unforeseen hiccups don't have huge ripples mm. in the schedule downline. Yeah. Uh, our packaging team is the, they're the ones that have probably changed the most because that line that we have currently is not the line we started with in 2016. No. Brew house, cellar, everything there is largely the same. A couple and, new fermenters. And, and, and the brew house is from? Browcon. Browcon. Yeah. Browcon, the cellar is largely from Browcon, a few SSV tanks um, as a, 
as um, an addition to the cellar a couple of years ago. Um, but the the packaging line we upgraded from a uh, you know nine head rotary filler that did three thousand cans an hour to a Crohn's Craftmate on uh, just uh, the other year, and mm. that's now running um, ten thousand cans an hour at full speed. Yeah. And not only is it faster, but um, the whole line has been changed out, and there's a lot of uh, automation involved now. Instead of manually erecting boxes, which is what we used to do at 3,000 cans an hour, instead of manually packing boxes with 24 cans a piece, like we used to do, instead of manually stickering the boxes with a proper barcode, manually packing them on the pallet, we now have a case erector that's you know, erecting the boxes, filling the boxes, taping the boxes, stickering the boxes. Mm. And we do have a little little robot arm at the end to uh, pick those boxes up and put them on a pallet in the pre-designed pattern. Mm. And so not only have we run faster, but uh, we've run it so that no one is breaking their back. Brewing is stressful. <laughs> I won't say it's yeah. not. Um, things can always go awry. But um, when you take out like the basic, um, you know, unpleasantries, mm. dig, digging out a mash tun perhaps or manually packing 30,000 low, cans. Low value tasks. Yeah, I think things that probably don't give you a lot of input as yeah. well, right? Um, if we can take them off and say, all right, you're, you're now more efficient and you've bought time. It, mm. How do you want to contribute further to the brewery and help develop them in other capacities? Yeah. Um, that's always been sort of the goal. And I think the way that we've done it kind of speaks to speaks to, to our success in that. Uh, we're a team of eight. And largely, you know, six of those people have been here since 2016 mm. or 2017. Sorry, we opened at the end of 2016, so yeah. beginning of 2017. Most that team is still here by and large, mm. and we've added a couple of hands later on. But there hasn't been a, a great deal of staff turnover, and right. I think that in itself is highly valuable. And I think that is a bit of a you know feedback loop type thing because if you have people that are comfortable in their roles doing what they like to do and knowing how to do it day in and day out, you keep that efficiency. Mm. When you have that staff turnover, that requires, you know, training and getting people um, on board with the whole project. That, mm. that can take time and energy as well. Yeah, and, and I would argue as well, it takes a lot of money as well to, to do as well. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, of course, there's going to be an overlap there where, there will be some hand-holding until, um, until they can learn to fly themselves, right? <laughs> and so that, that comes at the expense and perhaps the productivity of somebody else if mm. they're helping with that. Yeah. It's a necessary part of the job, but the fact that we've been able to you know, retain our staff and um, develop them in their roles over the past four, five, six years, however long they've been here, has been, I think, hugely helpful to being a, a pretty streamlined uh, brewery. Mm. It, uh, uh, I've just seen the, the new canning line as well. It's uh, mm-hmm. for a Norwegian standard. It's one of the bigger ones that you can find in a craft brewery at the very least. You're you're at least top five uh, in terms of volume in Norway. So a, a lot has changed, as you mentioned. Um, but I'm a little bit curious. So so when do when do you start the, the discussion on new equipment? Uh, <laughs> what what is sort of the role? Because I, I can imagine a lot of the people uh, listening um, uh, here is 
they might not have the volume or the the cash that that is uh, needed for uh, such a big investment. So so when do you start talking about new equipment and what are some of the um, discussions or uh, prioritization you have for choosing it? I'm, I think there are a lot of different scenarios, but the easiest one uh, to start with is when you see that certain pieces of your equipment are limiting on what you can do. Uh, we saw that quickly with the can filler. Isolating the fact that it was highly manual to, uh, in the old days, if we just looked at the can filler and what we were able to crank out day in and day out, in these COVID years, um, it was a huge strain on that. And, you know, in theory, we could have done more. There was more demand for the product, but we couldn't make it fast enough. And it got to the point where it was holding up tanks that we could have then brewed into. Yeah. And so when you start looking at that, you could say, well, the fix here is to be able to get it out faster. Mm. Um, and it was only when we started looking at, all right, well, if we're going to look, if we're going to entertain the idea of getting a new can filler, how, how is that going to fit into it? And it wasn't from day one just, oh, we're going to get an automated line that's going to have a robot at the end with a cast bait. Uh, case packers and everything you start putting it together and you start seeing and you start you know mapping out like if this pans out the way that you know its specifications say it should like how how would that impact our productivity on the packaging side as well as the brewing side mm -hmm. since the two are inextricably related um and you start looking and you're like all right that's that's going to be a huge difference yeah um and you see all these bells and whistles along the way, right? Like the robot. Uh, but with a little bit of foresight, you can, you don't, you hold off on some of it right away. Mm. And um, you know that if you build it properly, you can drop it in without, you know, requiring another shutdown and reconfiguring everything. Mm. So for us, it was looking at that limitation, you know, like we're being held back right now by this line, a uh, new piece of equipment, uh, will help us out mm. and it was through a lot of research and a lot of discussions that uh we settled on uh, the craft mate from crohn's mm. um but, but i think it's it's kind of uh <laughs> it's kind of the the strength and one of the things at least in the norwegian beer scene where i see amundsen doing uh, things a little bit different is the foreshadowing uh that has gone on in in the company first with uh of course growing quickly out of the the brew pub down uh, at Amundsen, then creating a new one up at Nydal, then just saying that, all right, we just have to move everything out. We are currently about 20 minutes outside of Oslo with, at uh, Sigru-ish. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I doubt that there is any locals uh, yeah. listening to the podcast. But uh, And now the, the same thing with, all right, so maybe you don't need an uh, immediate uh, robot arm to, to move it, but down the line. Uh, with limited amount of uh, space and capital, what would be a, a little bit of a suggestion from for you for someone looking to for uh, have a little bit of a better foresight into uh, expansion or just like you're saying, just creating a, a better everyday work for the people at the at the brewery? Uh, every brewery is very unique. Uh, that's one thing. Yeah, you. I go to a lot of breweries, as I'm sure you do too, yeah. and no two really look the same. Um, for me, and through a lot of the conversations I've had with uh, you know, peers uh, around the industry, 
of various sizes. Uh, I think having a reliable packaging line uh, is pretty key. I think there have been a lot of headaches for a lot of breweries with, you know, pretty bad packaging lines. Mm. Uh, one is reliability, but the other is, you know, the vulnerability of beer, especially in in-demand beer like IPA. Mm. A uh, bad canning line can, you know, ruin the batch. And if you ruin a, a batch or two too many, and those beers go out in the world, it's all sorts of headaches. So having a reliable line doesn't have to be fast, but a reliable one um, I think is very, very useful. Um, brew houses I think are pretty forgivable, to mm. be fair. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, it's nice to not have to dig out a mash tun, as I keep yeah. mentioning. <laughs> but... Um, the brewing process itself is very robust. Mm. And whether you're mashed on the steam jacketed or not, yeah, that might give us a little bit more um, consistency from product to product. But mm. not every product, uh, not every brewery is brewing to retain a supermarket shelf mm. uh, with the same product and expecting that. A lot of breweries have a model where they can have variability from one batch to another, something that's a little bit more kernel-esque if you want to go that mm. way where not every ipa has to be the same abv not every ipa is trying to be the last ipa no <laughs> they're just all kind of connected in spirit yeah so i would say the brew house um as long as you can make it work for yourself um you don't need to splurge there mm. uh one tool i do like um, and one tool that you see coming up more and more frequently these days, and it was unheard of when I first started to, uh, in craft brewing, is the centrifuge, mm. which I think gives you all sorts of um, flexibility with uh, what you can do going down the line. Mm. Recovering yields, making beer brighter. Um, yeah, if you're doing small pack, just being able to deliver small pack without the drinker on the other end getting a mouth full of bits. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's awesome. And you see them cropping up all over the place and the market has seemed to have understood that. And you've got all sorts of centrifuges, specs, all sorts of different sizes. Uh, that one, they're not cheap, but if you're looking, uh, if you're looking for a toy that I think, uh, opens up new possibilities, that's definitely one. Mm. Yeah, so looking maybe more towards the, the fermentation side and then the, the packaging side is a, is a good way because uh, beer uh, can and it, and is still being produced at very high qualities even uh, by wood fire. So everything is is possible. Hundred percent. Th thinking of my friends at the Bomberg, for instance. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> it, the brewing process is a robust. If you shoot for sixty seven and you hit sixty six. I mean, I've been there in the home brewing days, pulled my hair out. Yeah. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you're still going to make it probably a pretty banging beer. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, you send it over to your fermenter. As long as they're jacketed um, and you can maintain the fermentation profile that you're aiming to maintain, you've done everything there. Yeah. It's just moving it forward that is often where headaches can happen. Yeah. How you dry up and... Uh, how you separate and, and how you pack. And yeah. So those are the main things that really I feel differentiate breweries. A lot of us, if if you took a handful of craft breweries from the Nordic countries or continental Europe, the UK, even the US, our malt bills are going to look pretty similar. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
our choice of hops are probably going to look pretty similar. It is what happens later on. Uh, and I th yeah, a few process parameters that one brewery might choose uh, might differ from another one. But how a brewery handles their beer from um, cellar to back, I think, is going to be a, a big indicator of whether it's high quality or... Or okay. Uh, yeah, or a bit okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we were talked uh, talk a lot about uh, about uh, the brewery and uh, the production now, uh, which I, I appreciate. But uh, just a little bit about the beer that you actually make here. Mm. Uh, so when, when Amundsen started, of course, Brew Pub, it was the classics. It was the... Uh, the a little bit lower ABV IPAs. It was the Pilsners, Bayer, uh, Porters, uh, and whatnot. Um, first big listing in the government-run monopoly was uh, Ink and Dagger, which is still what a lot of Norwegian consumers and Swedish consumers <laughs> uh, think about when I think about Amundsen. But if you go just a little bit outside of the of Scandinavia, um, you're known for for. The, different, the different stuff for different stuff <laughs> indeed yeah. the the big bold flavored uh, stouts is where uh, is where a lot of the attention of Amundsen is going mm. ha, uh, a little bit about your your style of brewing how would you describe the Amundsen uh, fling to to beer yeah I mean well we're we're a little bit we've got a lot of different faces uh, different markets see us differently but uh, our main uh, way of looking at it ourselves for most of the beers is trying to be yeah, playful for the most part. Um, we take the beer pretty seriously, but we try to have a lot of fun doing it. So a lot of the beers that I suppose make more noise um, would be the ones that kind of, you know, kiss that pastry um, style, whether it's a sour or a stout. And largely when we're looking at those beers, we're looking outside of beer mm. for flavor combinations that we really dig and trying to find a suitable beer that we think would be the right template to translate those flavors onto. Mm. And so when you start opening up those doors and don't just think about malted barley, hops, yeast and water, of course, there are endless options. And we've been doing it for a couple of years now. Uh, started with the pastry stouts, been doing the sours now for a couple of years as well, I suppose. But there's still so much more territory to explore with those yeah. beers. Um, and you see that uh, the craft beer scene is changing along the way. Um, the beers that we brew now weren't on our radar when we moved here in 2016, yeah. <laughs> there was no pastry stout in the first year of brewing. Uh, we've 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 seen style changes and latched onto a few had a, had a few killer beers here and there. Figured that we'd try to give our stab at some of those styles and try to give our own take on them. And mm. I think that's largely what we've done over the past couple of years. Yeah, maybe not. You know, maybe it wasn't a hundred percent like oh we're going down this road. But we found ourselves going down that road um, <laughs> after a couple of brews, uh, and it's been yeah, it's been awesome. Uh, love brewing those beers. Those beers are a what would you say? They're their own little beast. Um, turning out a, a pilsner or turning out uh, an IPA—that's that's one type of brewing. But trying to work with some of these beers where you've got 
know, so many different adjuncts in and you're trying to dial it in and work with them, pushing the brew house. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's fun. Yeah. It's it, it kind of with all the automation that we have, it's still kind of, it takes you back to craft because mm. you are, um, you're, you're, you're doing it on the fly. You know, you're working with, you've got all your experiments to the side, but when you scale everything up, it's, it's always a little bit different. So we're always yeah. kind of on the spot and working with the beers with the equipment we have and then working with the beers with uh, our palates. Is this the beer that we set out to make? Mm. What do we have to do now to, you know, course correct? Um, so, yeah. It, it is some, uh, I always give uh, credit where credit is due when it comes to like brewing the classic styles, the ones that is not like over the top, uh, Pilsner's, Czech dark lagers, um, Martin. Like I, I, I find that sort of craft um, very inspiring for my own sake, but it's very easy to forget that doing something in the more extreme realms as well is uh, as uh, hard because uh, it's not problem to get a beer to taste a lot, but but it's it's problem to 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 have those flavors in a, a sort of balance and harmony. And I think that Amundsen is doing that really really well. Thank you. So, but uh, I I guess it has a little bit about um, the the attitude you have to brewing and uh, of course experience over time as well. Because at this point I, I and I can't count maybe. 40, 50, 60 different kind of pastry uh, oh, at products. Least. You know? I mean, uh, the dessert and can range itself has just over 30. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, uh, we're maybe up in uh, in 100 plus then. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty high. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it's been, you know, educational as well. Uh, it's always been fun uh, picking up a new ingredient and trying to figure out how to uh, process it. Uh, and it's been fun being like, all right, we've done cacao nibs, beer in and beer out. We feel pretty good about where to put it, how much to put it, mm. and you know how it should work in combo with something else. Mm. So there's still, yeah, there's still more for us to do. Uh, we got a lot on my rota um, beers that are in the in the pipeline, but uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah still something to explore yeah it's there's lots of ideas yeah. there, there are I, I think in our in our previous chat a couple of years ago um i had a beer that i wanted to brew that i still haven't gotten to <laughs> and that's the the bacon peanut butter one yeah um still trying to make that taste right <laughs> I'll, I'll say the same as i said then just sign me up anything uh, just mentioning bacon i'm there <laughs> yeah it's, it's just it's got to be bacon yeah it can't just be smoke um it's got to be the real deal yeah um so yeah we're still working on still having projects that's part of the fun um and you know we do those things to the sides so the ones that don't work they don't come to they don't get they don't go in the can no. so those are just like benchtop uh experiments yep. yeah <laughs> oh well uh, I just wanted to talk talking about real. Just want to thank you, man, for for taking the time talking a little bit about the, the brewery, the story, and and of course the the way of brewing, which uh, at the very least in in Norway I think uh, is uh, is quite uh, unique, both the products but also the mentality of basically using uh, automatization as a way of preserving uh, uh, both the quality but also the people that work there. So I appreciate the time, uh, Matt. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming by and having a chat. Yeah, thank you very much, man. Yeah, have a good one, man. <laughs> you too. Talk to you. 
Thank you for coming with me to Oslo and talking to Matt from Amundsen Brewery. You know, this uh, journey with another round with Play-Doh will take you all over the world of fermentation, so don't forget to subscribe. Sharing is caring, so do feel free to share with a friend as well. And until next time, have fun, drink well, and take care. <laughs>